2: Welcome back, everyone, to the Flow Track Podcast. I'm Kevin Sully, joined by Gordon Mack. On today's show, we're going to talk about Shalane Flanagan running another impressive marathon, Elaine Thompson-Hara's evolving coaching situation, and Galen Rupp's plans for 2022. Yes, that's right. We're already talking about 2022. We'll also have an interview with new Penn Relays meet director, Steve Dolan. But First, Gordon, you have a new cross-country show coming out? How is that? What do we uh what are we going to expect to see on that episode?
1: Well, I'm not sure if it's already out on 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 YouTube is it? I haven't checked the YouTube channel. I'm going to check it right now. Is it already up? I am mm. not in charge of uploading videos to YouTube. Yeah, it's already up on it's been up on the website. It's on uh it's on the the main Flowtrack YouTube channel. This episode mm. I basically create tiers for the top 25 teams. So I have five different tiers. I have a tier called will win, which is a tier that I believe that team will win the national title. There's a mm-hmm. tier called can win, which I believe you can win the national title. There's a podium tier. There's a party tier, which is a tier that's the best tier because that's a tier where you're going to NCAAs, <laughs> you're not gonna win, you're not gonna podium, but you're also not gonna finish dead last. You're gonna finish like 18th and you're gonna have a good old time. Okay. And then there's the last tier, and I try to pick who I think is going to finish dead last. So I go through the teams, put you in your tiers. I piss off some schools. I make some schools happy. That's that's so the 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 winning tier,
2: the title tier, by its very nature, only is going to involve one team, correctly, or is that because you guys said will win and then you said can win? So does the will win only have one in it? Okay, gotcha. Yeah,
1: will win only has one in it. I thought about being weird and putting two teams in a will win, but then that just makes no sense. And I have to have a little bit of sense in this world we live in. So mm-hmm. it made sense by only having one team in the
2: will win category.
1: You could Gosh. probably predict the two teams in my will win categories for men and women.
2: Well, I'm not going to, because I want people to check out the whole video. It's probably based on recent trends, 75 minutes long or so. So people no. can check that out on YouTube. This one's shorter.
1: This is only... 20 minutes. This is, this oh, is like okay. a good, you know, 20-minute television show like length.
2: So, yeah. Yeah, between classes if you're in college or on your lunch break if you're if you're working or something or you're just hanging out at home, you wait, you don't have anything to watch on Netflix, you just flip on Gordon's Cross Country show. Uh the dolan interview we'll get to a little later on. I mean, that that's going to be exciting cuz the Penrises will be live on Flow track this year. He's obviously been the coach at Penn, but now he's taking over there for uh like the direction of this gigantic meet, which I'm assuming is going to make him a very busy man in the spring.
1: Yeah. I think trying to figure out how to get all the high school, college, and professional athletes all in one place over a three day weekend. So <laughs> like, it's like a 12 hour long meet each day, coordinating that whole thing at the same time being a coach is not the easiest of jobs, but he's the man for the job. So. We talked mm-hmm. with him, so it's a cool interview. So enjoy that later on this pod. I do want to say, I'm yes. sure if you know, there's been, there's been news in the, in the world of Philadelphia, like there always is. <laughs> My boy Ben Simmons decided to, to not go to practice. And for those who don't know, I'm a big Philadelphia 76ers no, no, no. fan. He, he
2: went to practice. He didn't want well, to participate to practice. in some of the drills in practice. He got kicked out of practice.
1: He got kicked out. He got kicked out because he didn't want to do a defensive drill. And this got me yep. thinking: was is there like a drill or a workout in track that you could see yourself not wanting to do and be like, nah, I, "I ain't doing this"? Like, what's that one drill that you never wanted to do in track practice? I know what it is for me.
2: Hmm. Well, you, what is you, it? You have a drill
1: that you just hated?
2: No, because I ran long distance, so you just kind of ran. It wasn't really that complicated. What was yours?
1: Lunges. Freaking hate Mm. lunges, man. Especially, we had to do like lunges, like 50 yards of lunging. And I'm like, this is Mm -hmm. ridiculous. By the time I was done, my entire quad was just like gone. Or hamstrings. My My hamstrings were just like shot because I can't, for some reason, I can't do a a single lunge without pulling a muscle. I don't know why. There's something with my leg muscles. can't let me. Do Did you lunges. get
2: your back knee down? Your back knee touch the ground or no?
1: Yeah. Well, when I was young and I was like trying to like impress the coach and be like, "All right, do lunges the correct way," I was realizing I was destroying my body. I think <laughs> there's there's like a medical condition. I looked it up for people who can't do lunges because their mm. leg muscles are designed a certain way. And I'm you can't one of bend those that far down.
2: Yeah, yeah. You bend when down. you watch when you watch a lot of professional athlete Instagrams, especially track athletes and distance runners the most the, obviously the the workouts that they post are impressive but the strength training stuff is nuts as well too because these aren't even athletes that are like spending huge amounts of time in the weight room they're spending some time in the weight room but the, still the stuff that they're able to do and the strength to weight ratio and the flexibility like the, the depth that they get in things like lunges and squats it's like you go and try to do some of that stuff it they make it look so so simple, but I'm with you, lunges are, lunges are tough. I remember I do have an answer. We used to run stairs because we had a very traditional coach in the beginning of my high school career. We ran stairs on the football stadium. But here's the thing, Gordon. First of all, it's like those, you know, regular aluminum bleachers, right? That you have in high school football stadiums throughout the country. But each step was only like six inches apart. So it's just like a bunch of little pitter patters up and down. It's like I was in good shape, so it didn't really do anything for me except get me dizzy because I would – and it would only go up like 10 rows. So you just go pitter-patter, pitter-patter, pitter, 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 pitter then you, you turn. I think we only did it just because the coach, when they were growing up, they did it, but it wasn't like the big, you know, stairs that you're bounding up where you're getting that explosive um, push off of. There's little tiny stairs, uh, and I, I thought that that was um, – I mean, I wouldn't have quit. I wouldn't have done a Ben Simmons over it. I just thought hey this is this is probably not the best use of time
1: yeah anyway well we'll see what happens next in the the ben simmons drama for those following along i was having a good time i was waiting to watch the press conference and then they saw the news that he got kicked out of practice was, this whole thing anyway yeah. that's what i'm using to fill up my my weeks as we wait for you know track season's been over We do have some running every weekend but in between the weekends it's kind of a little dry with some running content so i've been leaning on other sports to get me through the week
2: we got news this week though gordon we got good stuff especially if you're a jamaican sprint fan or really a sprint fan in general because it involves the second fastest woman in history in the 100 and the 200 elaine thompson hurrah there had been rumblings That she was going to switch coaches switch sponsors she wanted on an espn program recently and said no those are just rumors but it appears that the rumors might be true andre low of the jamaican gleaner tweeted yesterday that she confirmed her split with mvp track club and coach steve francis and this was the statement that she released uh it says the double olympic champion is considering all options available concerning her team in light of an abundance of requests from my fans and concerned Jamaicans. I want to assure everyone that I've begun my training independently and will continue to do so while I finalize all aspects of my team for the upcoming season. I want to thank everyone for their support and express appreciation to those who have reached out in concern. I remain committed to representing my country and lead with courage and grace as I'm aware that I inspire young women across the world who have dreams and who dare to see those dreams come to pass. Okay. Very extensive statement there, just basically saying she's Politician. training. Indip- yeah, yeah, she touched all the the, the bases there on that. Um, she says training ind- independently. There are other reports about, she's working with Bert Cameron and her husband. So we don't know yet if this was induced by sponsorship change, or if she wanted to change just on her own. I got to admit, Gordon, I heard the news and I thought, yeah, there's probably something there, but I thought, unless she's forced to, I would be surprised because yes, pro athletes change coaches, yes, track athletes change coaches, but to see someone at the top change and to see someone who's at the top all time and has the possibility to do something unprecedented next year and the next several years, it is a bit surprising. I will say it is a bit surprising that that there would be a change. And if it is a sponsorship thing, a bit surprising that Nike, who was her previous sponsor, wouldn't just back up the Brinks truck to keep her.
1: Yeah. I I think it's going to be – I think this whole situation is a, a sponsorship situation. I think Puma may have gone all in on her. I'm not reporting mm-hmm. that, but, like, I'm just – it doesn't make sense to try to fix something that ain't broke, right? She's mm-hmm. running the best she's ever ran clearly the coach and her had a good thing going. And I think that because she ran the best she's ever run, she had even more opportunities. And maybe there was a situation where, you know, a lot of contracts ended, you know, at the end of the year. Yeah. So maybe she was looking to re-up with Nike and Nike was like, no, we're not we're not gonna pay you, you know, Usain Bolt level money because mm-hmm. Nike tries to pay a little bit of everybody to everything. And then yeah. Puma's like, well, we'll give you same Bolt money. So mm-hmm. maybe that's what happened. And we'll find out. That's why when she said in her post, like, I want to, I will continue to train independently while I finalize all aspects of my team for the upcoming season. Finalizing mm-hmm. all aspects of my team seems like figuring out my sponsorship. That's what I yeah. think that phrase means. My team is. My sponsorship. So I don't think it's a, a personal thing. I think it's just a, a business decision. And uh, when you run the second fastest woman, when you're the second fastest woman all time, uh, you have opportunities to get paid handsomely. And uh, she's taking advantage of that.
2: And As, as she should. I mean, so people don't know Francis is a Nike coach. That's why it, it wouldn't yeah. work.
1: Yeah. Now, here's the question. Is she opening herself up for, say, she has – I mean, she's setting a new standard on herself, right? Like, hey, you need now gear up and you need to break the world record next because you're you're so close to it. If she yeah. goes out and has still a good year but not the same that she had this year, like maybe she has a 10-7 PB season's best mm-hmm. and 10-8s. And gets like second at you at worlds. Yeah. Well, people start being like, hey, you shouldn't have switched coaches. That's all, you know, you shouldn't have yeah. done that. Like now she's opening herself up for like, oh, like a regret moment. Like, should you have done that? You know, second guess. Well, guessing. of course,
2: of course, they'll second guess everything short of a, a world record and two more gold medals next year. But if that is the case, that means she just negotiated a new deal at the exact right time. If this is a money thing because why you wait and then you drop your value. I just, you and I both ranked the most valuable track athletes in the world. And we both, not that we are the only two voices on this subject, but we both were just right away, it's Elaine Thompson, hurrah. It's gotta be Elaine Thompson, hurrah. She, she's the one who both now and future potential makes the most sense to garner the biggest number. So I am, I am surprised she could break Flo Jo's record Next year, and it's and it's just just really bizarre to me that Nike wouldn't want her to do that in a Nike jersey. Now, maybe they figure, hey, she might break it at the World Championships when she's wearing the Jamaican jersey anyway. So we don't have that deal, right? So perhaps that's part of it. But still, there's a good chance that she runs that outside of a World Championship final or Olympic final, and. And to have that moment of history come in somebody else's jersey is just – it's surprising to me. It's surprising to me. I know they like to spread out the money and not just throw it all towards one person, but this seems to be an exception or it would have been an exception.
1: Yeah, you would think like there are certain athletes that are bigger than – that are just the exception to the rule. Like I believe if Ilya Kipchoge was up, yeah, and Adidas was yeah, throwing he- money at Iliad, I think Nike would be like, "No, we want to keep him. We, we he's he's his his brand is more valuable than anything yes. else." Yeah, and you pay him, you pay him, you pay him. Yep. And I don't think there's many athletes like that. And then maybe they're just thinking like, the, you would think that they would look at Elaine Thompson, hurrah, and like put her in the same category as Iliad Kipchoge, but maybe. Yeah. They just I don't know. It's weird. Sponsorships and track are not always apples to apples. It's a lot of apples to oranges mm-hmm. because you could be the best in the world, you could be best in your country, you could be most consistent, but sometimes there's other factors. Youth is a big factor, marketability is a factor, and just like situational timing is a factor. Like it's all connected
2: yeah. and but she has a lot of that she has still yeah the element that's of youth because we're talking about yeah we're, we're talking about her running off 22 23 24 25 potentially she's in the event that garners the most eyeballs she's on the precipice of breaking a historic record there's even more attention on this event because the presence of richardson in the united states and also fraser price in jamaica that combination of factors does not happen that often so even put the time aside and look at everything else that's going in the direction of wanting to keep Elaine Thompson hurrah with you. It'll be, it, it'll be fascinating. It adds another wrinkle. And remember, remember, there was also that other story that was out there, uh, reported, I think by the Gleaner as well, that said Stephen Francis was considering bringing on a high profile international athlete, non-Jamaican athlete. Also they said non-European athlete who was very popular. So we still don't know who that athlete is, but you assume it's a Nike athlete. And if Elaine Thompson Hurrah is, is not there, that would obviously free up, uh, free up some, some space for, for that other athlete to to come slide right in.
1: Yeah, well, I guess we just have to wait. I mean, when will we have final? I mean, I feel like this, pie, this information won't really be known until like what, yeah. December, January?
2: Right? Unless someone's out there with binoculars, like looking out in the <laughs> track and figuring out. <laughs> Is someone tracking uh, flights like they do with college football coaches here in the United States to see who's coming and going? I don't know.
1: I feel like track has won the longest off seasons. I mean. No, I mean, if, you if, if they what? ran indoor, no. But if yeah, they, do, if out- ran, but
2: they don't. do outdoor, yes. Yeah, yeah. yeah. they don't. They don't. You're right. And I think what, we won't know. We won't. I, yeah, we won't know until we know. But but I didn't think we'd know about Thompson Hurrah this early, but we we that's did true. because she already made the decision. I, obviously, if she, if it is a new sponsor thing, they're going to do a big a big rollout with that too. I I would think we would know the situation of both her and then who's in Francis's group in the next month. I that's my guess. All
1: right next month so i'm I'm taking the over you can have the under on
2: that (laughs) write it down write it down they'll work out the contract details pretty soon well because this stuff goes on calendar years correct it's not just yeah track it's not based on the season is over it's on calendar year so they're gonna have to have it figured out i guess it could be two months because that would still put you in in at the end of december but i think they'll have something before then because they want they want to be able to roll it out in the new year but Again, could be wrong. You're right. This stuff is confusing. We don't know. Nobody ever talks about it. I mean, she went on a program and said it was rumors. So basically denying it. I mean, I guess she didn't say the rumors were true. So technically you could say what she said was, it was accurate. She said they were rumors. She didn't say they were false rumors. I don't think. So no one knows. No one's given the straight answer on this stuff. When Francis was asked about it, he Oh yeah, I get asked all the time to coach all these people, and then it came out that it was a very popular person who we'd be coaching, and they wouldn't be European, and that's all we that's all we knew. And then we played the guessing game last time on the pod, so we shall see. Um, Shalane Flanagan, Gordon, she's through marathon five of six in her quest to run sub three this fall, numerous times. Now, she did this one in Saulby Island outside of Portland in 235 14 this was the virtual Tokyo marathon cuz Tokyo got canceled now i thought hey since it's going to be virtual anyway you go out there and chill and you do a 250 something save your legs for new york but i think i'm starting to learn from this whole project gordon that like mid 230s on a on a flat ish course Is basically Shalane Flanagan's default setting unless she's running back-to-back marathons. Like she could go, she could run a marathon every week for a really long time, and it would default to two thirty-five. Is my conclusion?
1: Yeah, she gave herself a lot of cushion looking back on this little um, challenge of being sub-three in every marathon because she hasn't even come close to like two fifty, like. No. Running two thirty five on the fifth one when you have no competition, it's just like, come on you, you clearly were low balling yourself. Like you clearly should have been. I'm going to do everything under two forty five at least. Um, but yeah. hey, two thirty five solo. I'm not not solo. Did she have someone with her?
2: Yeah, she had or some she pacers. She, Courtney Ferrex, ran some miles with her. Some other some other folks who run some miles with her. It is flat course. It was. It was a perfect setup, I think, to to run this time. But again, she's got four other marathons in her legs this fall. Impressive.
1: Okay, so we are how many New York. days out? New York is what two weeks away. We're
2: yeah, uh, a little weeks. more than two weeks. I think we're about nine nineteen days away from New York. Nineteen days
1: away. Do we need Shalane Flanagan to be in the elite field now? Like are we like Shalane? Hey, yes. you've been like fooling with us here with these two thirties and telling us like, Hey, no, I'm I'm retired. I, I'm just here to do this fun little sub three challenge. Well, you're not running two You're running out there running two thirties. So it's the last one, get on the elite field line and just go for broke and see if you can like finish top 10 in the, in the elite field. That's what mm-hmm. I want to see.
2: He, here's what I worry about with her. I want to see her do that. Here's what I worry about though. It's, Like you said, over two weeks till her last one. Will she get rusty in that time? Should she do a tune-up half marathon in between then and now just to make sure things don't get stale? I'm worried about that. Maybe she'll get like that, you know, the delayed onset muscle syndrome thing. How Oh, two days is like worse than the day after. Maybe the soreness is just going to compound for the next 18 days to the point where she gets the New York City Marathon starting line and and, and isn't able to run 10-minute miles. No. I think you're absolutely right. I called this after about the second or third one. Hey, there's this big gap before that last one. The time in New York is gonna be tougher to come by. So it makes sense. Just, hey, get in there and compete and see what you can do. She obviously belongs in the elite field, not even throw out her past accomplishments. If just some random person we had never heard of did this this fall, you'd wonder, hey, what can they do with actually some rest? Going into it, and you'd want to see the result, and that's how I feel about Shalane Flanagan.
1: Well, do you think she herself is kind of having second thoughts on her ability after doing this? Because clearly her thoughts were sub three, and now that she's almost done, she's like, "Wow, well, I'm I'm more fit than I thought I was." Do you think there's any chance? Hear me out. Uh oh. We get a Shalane Harden. Flanagan comeback in the spring of 2022 at the Boston Marathon. She's always she said Boston said, is the is the great, you know, the one that got away. Mm-hmm. Is this her way of telling herself, "Hey, what if I actually put yeah. in legit training, go all in on one 2022?" What do you think? Do you think this could be a sign for a Celine out of retirement? One last hurrah.
2: It's funny because you say, oh, you usually use the phrase, yeah, they're dipping their toe in the water to see if they want to make a comeback. She didn't dip her toe in the water. She's done a cannonball like five separate times, and she's about to do another (laughs) one here to see if she likes it. I think think she's in great shape right now, obviously, just just to do this. I think she's training at a pretty high level. Is she training at the same level she was when she was a pro? Probably not. Uh, I would love to see it. I think if the Olympic try if if next year was an Olympic year, would it be crazy to see her in the Olympic trials? No, absolutely not. Like, where is she gonna? Can you pull up the pull up the New York City Marathon elite field here? You have that handy. Um, find yeah. this just to see where she would. Here we go. So, because we know Sisson's out we know obviously Seidel is going to be solid in there but then past that for the US let's see who you got here he's got a lot yeah there, Stephanie they, Bruce, they, they Steph it Bruce alphabetically yeah i know i know I'm, I'm gonna scroll through them so i i'm just i'm just thinking of names that that jump out of like oh this person could definitely beat her obviously Bruce could, could beat her. She's run sub-230. Linden could obviously beat her. Uh, but I'm scrolling down. Seidel, obviously. I said Sisson is out. Kellen Taylor could obviously beat her. Thweet. Uh Tuley scratched as well, too, I believe. So, you know, she could definitely mess around and end up top three or four in here. I think even better. Here's the thing. This is the ultimate, I'm just playing with house money, setup here. Because it's not as if. She's just doing this like in a vacuum. She's retired from the sport. She has zero pressure on her and it's her sixth marathon. And she set a goal of breaking three hours. So she go, if she's on the elite starting line, she goes in there with about as little pressure as you could possibly have going into a marathon. And I bet that feels pretty good for her.
1: Yeah, she could go in there, be in it with the top women through half half the half point. And then fall apart and run like a 240, and yeah. no one will think it's anything serious. of it. They'll be like, oh, you, yeah. well, you know, yeah. that was wild. Like, you know, yeah, she did it. it? To run six she did it. So, whereas yeah. if someone else is in the elite field for the first half and then runs a 240, everyone will be like, oh, kind of had a bad day. There's like all oh, this kind of yeah. more negative, like it wasn't, you know, but none of that for her. So, it's, yeah, you're right. There's zero kind of negativity to failure in a way, because mm-hmm. she's gonna run sub three. We know that, because clearly she yeah. can do that backwards.
2: I'm, I'm 100% pro comeback for everybody. I wanted Bolt to come back. I was always reading way too much into his Instagram posts. I wanted Ashley Eaton to come back. I, I want everybody to come back if they wanna come back. So if this is the way back, it's been worth it. If it's not, it's still been a really fun experiment to watch, because we were legitimately debating, hey, can she do this? Because we looked at those back-to-back marathons, obviously she was going to hit the first one and then you're like all right well, how's she going to do with the 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 boston chicago double there and she did it with ease and now she's still ripping them off so she's durable she's fast i want to see it in new york i'm really excited about that that storyline just in general i mean you look at the whole elite field yeah you know, obviously they got some some absolute stars in there like Jep cheer cheer the gold medalist and they have you know, a lot of sub-220 women there. So the expectation obviously would not be to, to win the race by any means. Um, I should have said Sally, Sally Kipiego is in there as well too. Sally Kipiego on the women's side. So she's obviously capable of beating Flanagan as well too. But, yeah, top five woman for the U.S. is definitely possible in a good in a good field there.
1: Any other marathon news?
2: Yes, but I want to hold it. Cause we got some RUP a RUP store I want to talk about, but before we do that, I think we'll, uh, we'll do the interview here with, uh, Steve Dolan. Do you want to in- intro the interview or you just want to roll it?
1: Yeah. So, uh, Steve Dolan, Penn coach for the past 10 years, took on the new meet director position at the Penn Relays, which is a very prestigious role because it's one of the best meets in the world. Uh, Dave Johnson held that role for, I think about 20 plus years. So big feet to the big shoes to fill. Uh talked about why he took the job, what challenges he sees with bringing the Pen Relays back because people, we haven't had the Pen Relays in 2 years because of the pandemic. Yeah. Um and kind of talked about his favorite moments and what new things he might bring to the Pen Relays. I try to get him to tell me if uh we could get Philadelphia to host the USAs or a world's now that Eugene is doing their thing. Um so mm. yeah, good interview and uh yeah. Here it is, Steve Dolan with me, Gordon, talking about his new role as the Penn Relays Director. All right, well, I'd like to welcome the new Penn Relays Director, Steve Dolan, also the head coach. Coach Dolan, uh, first of all, what does it mean to now take over such a prestigious event like the Penn Relays? And I know you've been at Penn now for like eight or nine years. What has been the kind of the process to go from being the head coach for the past decade to now taking over an even bigger role by running
0: the Penn Relays? Yeah. Well, first of all, thanks for having me, Gordon. It's really an honor to be here, and I certainly am very excited uh, about the future and my opportunity to work with the Penn Relays, and uh, I'm actually my 10th year as the director of track here at Penn, and and one of the things that kind of drew me to Penn when I first came here was the history you related to, uh, Franklin Field, home of the Penn Relays, since 1895, and even the Penn track and field program, just the Olympians in the past history, it's really kind of a, a neat place to coach track and field. And uh, you know, with on that platform, all of a sudden as things have evolved, the opportunity to maybe uh, play a role in, in the future of the Penn relays and the future of track and field events at Penn uh, was super attractive to me. And uh, certainly uh, a little humbled to follow Dave Johnson. He's just done an incredible job in, in his leadership of the Penn relays. But uh, hopefully, I can play a positive role uh, in the years to come. So most people might not know this but obviously the fact that a lot of times a lot
1: of local like college meets the coach is always the meet director because it's not that big but for something like Penn relays it required a full-time type position with a meet director with dave johnson for the past like 20 plus years what have you learned as a
0: head coach at penn these past 10 years seeing what it takes to put on an event like the penn relays right well, I've certainly never hosted something of the magnitude of the Penn Relays, but you know, as you alluded to it, I've been involved with meet administration my whole career. So I'm in my 30th year of college coaching. So uh, here at Penn for 10 and I coached at Princeton and the college in Jersey before that, but always involved with running meets and meet administration. And always kind of enjoyed creating events and doing the best we could to host, host great competition. So I have some background in it, but this is definitely not a one person show. So uh, Dave was pretty amazing, but there'll be a group of us. There's a number of us that will be playing different roles. In trying to host an event like the penn relays and any other events that we host at Penn so I, I by no means feel responsible on my own to, to make this happen it, it would be impossible so it'll be a committee it'll be a group of us that, that make it happen but but I'm excited and I think you know Penn is a special place and I think we have an opportunity here at Franklin field and the city of Philadelphia to do something great for the community uh, the Philadelphia community and the track and field community at large just to build on this uh, future for the penn relays and and truthfully, we have pretty lofty goals to host other things throughout the year. We want the pen relays to be the the crown jewel of our of our year, but we also want to host more events and really let this uh, this place be special for, for track and field. Why did you want to do this job? You um, seems to be
1: pretty busy being the head coach of the program. You know what what drew you to want to take on this more responsibility to add pen relays, meet directing to your workload over the year.
0: Well, first of all i'm really blessed with just a fantastic staff so you know Penn track and field uh, we run a combined program we have about 55 to 60 men and 55 to 60 women in the program we just have a great staff so there's you know six full-time coaches full-time director of ops and a number of volunteer coaches and so Penn track and field itself is is certainly a lot more people than me are making this happen and the coaches are really fantastic in each of their roles so i felt like you know we're in a good spot and I, i i sort of love coaching my favorite time of the day is definitely at practice, working with the athletes, helping them chase their dreams. So I certainly didn't want to give up my, my favorite part of the day and helping athletes chase the dreams. But I also felt like an opportunity maybe to do more here. Maybe uh, you know, put my uh, thought process out there and trying to you know create events and, and create pen and realize at a high level is something I can do. And maybe my opportunity of having coached 30 years and I sort of smile. But as you get older, you know more and more people. So my uh, connections throughout high school and college track and field and maybe some of my connections at the agent and professional level. Are going to be valuable connections uh, for us as we try to build on things here at Penn. So I'm hoping I can, you know, do successful, uh, be successful in both areas. But again, it's all about having great people. Uh, I, I'm not uh, going to do either one very well if I try to do it by myself. I, I have a great team around me and, and and to make this happen. Now, obviously, you're starting a job on on the ground running. We have a, a big challenge ahead of us.
1: It's been two years since we had the, the normal Penn relays. We had a A little bit of a pen relays invitational last summer, but the official pen relays are coming back in 2022. What are some of the challenges to kind of reboot the relays after a two-year hiatus? Get teams back on board to come out and kind of get back to normal the way it was in 2019 and in the past.
0: Yeah, well, we're super excited to do it, and our facility staff has done a great job here. With you know this fall, we've been hosting a a fall collegiate events on campus, and, and those are going really well. And you know, but one of the challenges coming off of the COVID year, and, and, and it still exists, right? So to get our procedures in place to make it a safe and fun uh, pen Relays uh, is obviously one of the first challenges, and uh, we have a great team. Uh, the executive director of the pen Relays, Scott Ward, really does a fantastic job. Uh, he oversees uh, the, the event at large and all of our events, frankly, uh, intercollegently. So he's a key person to have us pull this off and come back in a big way. But honestly, you know, my first 10 days on the job have been busy but I've been doing what I call college outreach and just talking to friends in the industry and sort of saying, hey, we're planning to be back. Hope you're coming to the Penn Relays. And the response has really been uh, been pretty amazing. People want to be back. People want to do the Penn Relays and are very excited to do it. Truthfully, we probably have, or have about 25 Five schools and we're coming back to the Penn Relays. We want to be a big part of this, not to mention all the other schools across all divisions and all conferences. So it's going to be a real big college program and, and really going to highlight those great college uh, uh, athletes, which has always been a big part of the program. Also, some initial conversations with professional athletes and agents. People are excited. They want to run in Franklin Field and jump and throw and, and be in this atmosphere. So, I think we're going to come back in a real big way in 2022, and should be super exciting for the fans and the crowd and everybody uh, you know, involved. So, uh, yeah, the first first part has been exciting, and uh, I think it's going to be an exciting comeback year.
1: What is like the I guess the challenge or the strategy or the pitch that a lot of times you have to deal with to try to draw in a good field? Obviously, Penn Relays has its history, 100-year history. But there are other relay carnivals that happen, Drake Relays, Texas Relays earlier in the year, Florida Relays does their thing. So a little bit of, like, not competition, but there's only so many races that a a team can enter in. So Mm -hmm. what's kind of the pitch to kind of get these schools to put Penn Relays as one of the marquee weekends on their, you know, two-month, three-month-long calendar?
0: Mm-hmm. Well, I think a couple of things. So first of all, it's called the Penn Relays Carnival, right? And I think the carnival part's noteworthy because it's really a celebration of the sport. You've got all different levels of, of, of athletes competing and it really has that carnival atmosphere and the athletes really enjoy that opportunity. And it's not very often you get to compete in, in on Saturday or on other days in front of huge crowds, right? Responding in front of a huge crowd and a crowd that knows track and field and gets excited about great competition and you know, to be honest, there's really nothing like it in the United States with that kind of atmosphere and excitement and crowd. I think that's what brings people back. And, and as a fan, you want to be a part of it. You don't want to miss the chance to see it. And as an athlete, you want to be on that stage. And I've coached and been very fortunate and lucky over my years to coach a few people that have been able to win pen relays. And when I ask them how and they look back on their college track careers, they always say their most exciting moment, even if they're an NCAA All-American or a special athlete or done some things, was that win at Penn Relays. They did the victory lap. The crowd went crazy. Like, that is special, you know, stand on that stage and get the big wheel in, in Franklin Field to be a, a champion of America, a winner. I mean, that's special. So we've got something really special. We just have to do a great job in, in organizing it, right? It's, it's a lot to organize in terms of getting people to, to have that great experience, but uh, we've got something, something big here. Now that you're taking over,
1: obviously Dave Johnson's done a great job taking it for the past 20 plus years are there any new new innovations or new ideas or new aspects that you want to bring to the pen relays if not this year but in the next few years that you kind of have on the back of your mind and if so can you share any like brainstorming thoughts of new and new things you want to bring to the relays
0: yeah well you know yeah and I actually I've counted on others again so I've already started those conversations with uh with college coaches and professional coaches and agents and sort of getting the picking their brain, like what can we do better? What's the next evolution of, of, the, of the event? And there are some things that are coming up, like I, we definitely want to add some professional events, uh, some individual professional events, uh, be it in the track or, or things like that, and, and, and have some really exciting individual professional events. I think that'll be something new you're going to see at the Penn Relays this year. Uh, we definitely want to go back to our roots. So this started as a collegiate track and field meet. We want to make sure that we really highlight those college championship events, both individually and and relays. So making sure they're at marquee times and really get uh, key billing uh, for the college events. So I think those individual professional events really highlighting the colleges are are, are two important things. But the one thing we definitely want to make that's often a part of relays is it's very inclusive. We want to have youth, we want to have masters, we want to have professional, we want to have high school, and we want to have people from around the country and around the world. We want to have an international flair to it and all are welcome, all are welcome. So we want to make sure we keep that inclusive feeling to the relays and then continue to build on some of those uh, those great elite performances across all different levels. I went to the Penn Relays in high school,
1: ran there, high school and college. And a big, not one, one of the aspects that's really unique about Penn Relays is the Jamaican draw and seeing like these Jamaican high school teams come in, the Calabars, the St. Yagos, and them kind of, sometimes they beat us, sometimes we beat them, but, you know, it's a great little rivalry between U.S. and Jamaica. Uh, is the plan to still keep, you know, the influx of Jamaican high school stars coming in? Uh, if, I know COVID and regulations, all that stuff, but what's like the status of
0: keeping it an international event? Oh, yeah, absolutely. I mean, again, the whole world is welcome, and we have this great relationship with Jamaica, and absolutely, we we're, we welcome and are excited to have the Jamaican high schools back competing against the best here in the United States, and we also look forward to having the Olympic and professional level athletes from Jamaica compete on this stage. So. Every intention to, to ha- continue to, to have that great relationship and have the Jamaican athletes back. And it's two things. First of all, a lot of people are physically traveling from Jamaica, but there's also so many uh, uh, Jamaicans that live in the United States, right? So we, uh, you know, you see the great crowd and excitement. And, uh, they're very proud to cheer for, uh, you know, those athletes from their native country. That you know now those a lot of those folks live in the United States. So it, it's a, it's an exciting part of the relays. And they're such a knowledgeable and enthusiastic and great track and field crowd. You know, you've been here and you know as a competitor, Gordon, like it doesn't matter if it's the uh, the middle school race or the high school race or the pro race. If it's a good race, the crowd at large and certainly the Jamaican crowd, they get behind it. They get excited. And uh, we want to keep that tradition alive in Franklin Field. I always love it when it's like heat number 112 and it's just
1: a kick at the finish and everyone is watching and caring about it. They're not just waiting for the finals.
0: So, I Because I, I was in those heats. I was in those small heats. <laughs> Good competition is good competition. Our crowd appreciates it. It's it's exciting. So one thing that, you know, track community always talks about is U.S.
1: track field, um, trying to make it more popular, right? We try to think about innovative ways to draw more eyes to our sport, doing different combinations, doing like a street meet or like putting people onto the track. And one thing that I always thought about Uh, is a lot of times all of our track meets are like in the same few cities. It's in Des Moines or Eugene, and that's basically about it for the USAs. Has there ever been thought of Philadelphia, mainly University of Penn, getting involved with hosting, being a host for a future U.S. championships or, you know, 10, 20 down the road, hosting a world championships or something like that? Has there been thoughts of Franklin Field kind of bringing in not just of Penn Relays, but other big events?
0: Well, on that last statement, absolutely, we want to bring another big event. So that's one of our visions. Again, like I said earlier, that Penn Relays is our marquee event, but we want to do programming throughout the year, affiliated with Penn Relays and otherwise, that you know, really make Philadelphia a hub for track and field in our country and for the world. So we absolutely want to do it. You know, Whether we do or don't host the USA Championships, so I guess I'm not sure. There's a lot of Things that happen in the bidding process and certain logistical things that have to, you know, fall into place for that to become a reality. But in terms of our ability to host an elite high school meet, a professional meet in the summertime, and other events, we absolutely have those aspirations and feel like we're a unique place in the sport with our stadium and the and the city and and, and that type of thing. And uh, those are very much some of our goals, Gordon. We're excited to do it. Are there any challenges that you've
1: discovered now that you've taken over a meet director role? um with something like the pen relays um if like what's like kind of like the unknown that most people don't think i think a lot of people show up to a track meet and just figure out it's pretty simple there's a timer there's a track this is a schedule But like what's kind of like intricate detail of like an unknown challenge that meet directors for massive meets like a pen relays invitational have to deal with
0: well the magic of the pen relays gordon is there's there's literally hundreds if not a thousand volunteers that make this happen right and that's where I'm very fortunate because we've got Dave Johnson, certainly I talked to Dave last week and he's gonna be an important resource as we get this year's event going again. And then Gail Zachary, who's his longtime assistant, she's continues to work with us in the Penn Relays and they understand how all that works more than I do. I have a lot to learn in that area, but it's really, it's actually amazing when you look at the list of people that every year show up and say, I wanna be a part of volunteering to make the pen Relays happen. And it's uh, it's amazing how it all comes together in all different areas whether tanning out awards, getting the relays on the track, you know, uh, the medical side of it. There's just a million people that make this whole thing happen, and, and, and they're the lifeblood of the relays. And, uh, you know, I, 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 an, an advance thank you to that group again because we're back this year, but uh, they love it. They come to Penn, and it's a special day for them too, and they know they're, they're playing a big role in making this happen. So I don't know how it all works yet, but uh, we're going to get it in line by the, last week in April. So you went to the Penn Relays
1: as a, a competing coach when you were coaching at Princeton. You're competing there as the coach of Penn. Is there any specific memories that kind of kind of show what Penn Relays is all about, too? Like, is there a moment that you've had as a coach, um, as an ath- I'm not sure if you've been there as an athlete, Did you run there as an athlete as well?
0: No, I didn't compete as an athlete. Okay. I was as a coach.
1: Okay. Are there any like specific moments, like you know, that is a Penn Relays moment that kind of encompasses? I'm not sure if that's the right word. I'm bad with words. Kind of just that moment is what Penn Relays is all about.
0: Yeah, absolutely. So, in my years, so been here with three different schools, started my career at the College of New Jersey, great Division three program. We love competing at the Penn Relays, then Opportunity at Princeton, and now at Penn. And through the years, I've had individuals win their events. Uh, at the College of New Jersey, one of our ladies won the college jump. That was such an exciting thing for a small college athlete to beat a lot of different athletes and win the college high jump. And then had a few other individuals, both at Princeton and Penn, that won the individual events, So, that was super exciting. But then there is something magical about relays, right? Those championship of America relays. So I was very fortunate uh, at Princeton, we won three of the championship of America relays in the between the DMR and the four by mile. And then at Penn we've won a couple, which has been exciting. The guys won the four by mile, the women won the DMR. So each of those moments equally exciting, right? On that big stage, chasing a dream as a team and winning those relays. But having said all that, the number one moment is actually as a parent, Gordon. I don't know if you know that, but. Uh, my two boys uh, had the opportunity they ran for Hopewell Valley High School in New Jersey. And uh, just a couple of years back, they actually uh, won the high school boys distance medley and set the, the championship record. So the championship record is the Hopewell Valley Boys DMR uh, with a big comeback win at the end and uh, really a really an exciting moment as a parent. So my my son, Sean, was the anchor and his brother, Tim, was the 800 meter leg. So seeing it through the eyes of a parent and, and, and them having come as kids and then having that moment in Franklin Field, uh, is certainly the highest uh, one, one of the most exciting moments I've ever been a part of, and it, it was a pen realized moment. Well, uh, well, how distracting was not? I'm not sure if it's distracting, but what's going
1: through your head? You're there as a coach, but then you have your son, your, your two sons, kind of in a big moment.
0: What, what was going on in your your brain when you're probably sitting on the infield watching this race go down? Well, I specifically went up in the stands to be near my wife to watch the relay as a parent. So I was up in the stands, kind of near the finish line, walking, watching from up there, and. Our tradition is my wife videos it on her phone like she always does, no matter what my, what meet we go to, and I cheer and do my best to to be a dad. And it was super exciting. And truth be told, since I have access to the infield, I was to the infield fairly quickly once that race ended. But uh, but I sat in the stands and watched from the stands like everybody everybody else's parents. It was pretty cool. Well, Steve, I
1: appreciate you taking the time to talk with us. Look forward to the pen relays being live on Flow Track, and not just this year, but many years in the future to see kind of grow back up after this two year hiatus people needing some pen relays content races in their lives and we've been missing it for the past two years so we're excited that it's back
2: all right there you have it steve dolan new pen relays director gordon it's gonna be awesome to have that meet again back on the schedule in the spring you're a you're a philadelphia man grew up there this means a lot to you huh
1: I am. You're a man of brotherly love. I don't know how
2: to put that. (laughs) That's really awkward.
1: I think I ran at that meet six times, twice in high school and four times in college. So love Philadelphia. love the Penn Relays. Excited to be back. Going to try to see if there's a a Sixers game that's happening that same weekend so I can kind of go to Mm. the the relays during the day and then the game at night. That's going to be the plan. So I haven't figured it out yet.
2: Not as much. That's the plan. Not as much Sixers talk as I thought in that interview.
1: You know, I, I did uh run into Chip Kelly at the Penn Relays when he first got hired as oh, an wow. Eagles coach. They invited him to kind of go and like stand on the infield because Oregon was there and he was going to watch like the like Chesarek and all of them were running the mile, the four by mile. Mm-hmm. And I tried to get an interview with him, and he said no. He got he got he got all like uh, sports like. No, no comment. I was like, "Hey, can I do a quick interview with you? To talk about pen relays." And he's like, "No." I was like, oh, "Okay." Yeah. And then he got fired like two years later. So now we got Nick Sirianni, and you'll uh, be there with you a different related. T-shirt. I get Nick Sirianni showed the <laughs> pen relays. I think that could happen. Maybe we'll get an interview with him then.
2: I think you you should have asked what would happen in a relay if Ben Simmons had to hand a baton to Joel Embiid. I think that would have been a perfectly <laughs> appropriate question for today.
1: I'm still a Ben I as much as what Ben Simmons is doing, I'm actually not For gonna sure. hate him after You're this. it's weird. I'm I'm a I'm a weird person. Anyway, speaking of a weird situation, <laughs> the world championship marathon, the world championship marathon yeah. is typically a marathon that the big dogs don't go to, right? Especially on the American side, you would rather. Get that paycheck from Chicago, from Berlin, from New York, from wherever in the fall, as Mm -hmm. opposed to building up for world champ. Not like that for the Olympics, but for world champs, it's not you know the same. But Mm -hmm. for Americans, world champs are in America. They're in Oregon, and Mm -hmm. I started talking to some of the athletes at Boston. Colin Benny, who was top American at Mm -hmm. Boston, him and his coach were eyeing trying to be. On that world championship team. And now we just got news that potentially Galen Rupp would prefer to run at the world championship marathon, which mm-hmm. kind of for him even makes more sense because it's where he grew up, right? It's, at the, it's in Eugene, where he went to school and all that stuff. So, what are your thoughts on the, the, the new report that Galen Rupp potentially could run on the world championship marathon team?
2: Yeah, it makes sense. We talked about this before. So, Sarah Lord Butler of Runners World tweeted out that, "Quote: Galen plans to run the marathon at next summer's World Championships in Eugene, according to his agent." So, plans to. Obviously, you can read a lot into plans to uh, when it comes to people committing to races or not committing to races. But it made sense, especially at the stage of his career where he currently is. This would seem to be one of his last opportunities to get a medal in a major championship. You're right about world championships not holding the same level of prestige as a major, just in terms of the field that is able to compile or the Olympics, but usually between Kenya and Ethiopia, they'll send one or two top runners. Then there'll be some other folks on there that would be lower down on your list. And really it's a lot of DNFs is what you see in the world championships in the Olympics, because when it's not going well, especially if the weather's bad, they bail. But what I said before is what I still believe, which is in 10 years and 15 years, if Rupp or anybody else has a world championship marathon medal, no one's gonna say, hey, how strong was that field that year though in 2022? It's a world championship medal in the same way it would be a world championship medal in the 5,000, in the 1500, in the 800, or any other event. And I think we, as people who obsess over the fields, really drill into how good is that field and how does that field match up to what he would have gone against in Chicago or New York or any other uh major marathon but it's still it's still a world championship medal potentially and those opportunities in the United States obviously don't happen that often um you know they they will happen you know here and then you, I guess you could say the Olympics in 2028, but that's still a long way off. So it does not surprise me at all that people would jump at the opportunity to do it.
1: Yeah. I mean, you say There's world a- championship medal. People don't put, aster- I mean, I put big ass asterisks on like world cross country championship medals that people would love to say that. Um, but this is different. Was it that this had like different. 50 that's of a- them a di- when they were in the Mofera? yeah. A, yeah. yeah so,
2: yeah. But that's a different that's a different championship entirely. That's in a different season entirely. This is still within the okay. construct of a of a track meet. Of the week. Here's the other part yeah. of this. Here's the other here's the other part of this that needs to be considered. I think Rupp knows and a lot of the other Americans know too that hey, this is going to give us a competitive advantage because we're not going to have to travel halfway across the world, right? We're able to sleep in our own bed or sleep in a time zone that is familiar to us and then go and compete. And that's gonna help us. So maybe some of these athletes in prior years would have been more likely to go if the conditions were more conducive to them finishing higher. And now they have that on a silver platter. We mentioned that within the discussion of track athletes and hey, you could run an entire season next year and never leave the Pacific time zone if you didn't want to. You could just go back and forth between Mount SAC and Eugene and and Azusa and all those meets, and you could have an entire season right, right there. I think for the marathon, uh, that that is obviously true, too, because you don't really have you know, a season leading up to it. They might have one tune-up race, but that's going to give them the competitive advantage over all these athletes who are flying in from across the world, too. So it's a better opportunity to get a medal and a more meaningful opportunity for a medal, too.
1: Yeah, and Galen, with the marathon course being in his backyard, will be able to literally know – every nook and cranny of that course. He's going to know he's going to take out a protractor and know the angle of every uphill and downhill. Hell, he could even like set up booby traps that he knows, Hey, don't run over that pothole because I put a little, Mm -hmm. little sinks sinking (laughs) sand on that. And like, he's going to know like the most efficient route to go. Yeah. He, everyone's to Like the, the cameras are going to see the entire pack on one side of the street and Galen's going to be on the other side of the street. And everyone's gonna be like why is he doing this and then all of a sudden he's like well there's a little bit of a gradient and like the, the
2: yeah the,
1: you know the cement has a little bit of some cracks in it so it's better footing if you're on the left side yeah. than the right side so
2: yeah i like those three things combined right so it'll be more competitive it's it's a chance to compete at home and also just a chance to get a major medal even if it isn't the same as getting an olympic medal or getting a medal in the five or the ten i think that really is just an indication that american athletes are going to run it and i think it's going to be the best team we ever send to a world championship marathon because of all those reasons even if you live on the east coast it's still an advantage because you can get over there yeah. once you qualify for the team and the us atf announces the team whenever we figure out when the, when that process is ironed out yeah you go over there and you can run the course A bunch of times or you can go train out there for a little bit and even if you are coming from the east coast you're adjusting to three hours versus adjusting to nine or ten hours
1: yeah and they haven't announced how they're going to select the team but in years past it's always been descending order list within a certain time frame yeah um and typically they just like if you they just keep on going down the list until they have three people who say yes Mm -hmm. and i'm not sure who has who currently are the top three? Do we know who the current top three in descending order lists are after?
2: Well, number one be Galen Rupp.
1: Yeah, so Rupp sure. has a 206.35. Then Martin Herher has a 208.59. Noah Drati, 209.09. And then in fourth right now is Colin Benny with a 209.38. So that second yeah. and third spot, very close, right? Herher, 208.59. Roddy 20909 and Benny 2938. You have to think Benny is probably going to try to run one more fast race maybe next spring. spring. Maybe he dodges spring. Boston and go and goes somewhere like goes to London. Or not know well, London won't be open. They're probably going to find some local marathon. But there's well, going to be a nice like, little battle there for that second yeah. or third
2: spot. Yes, yeah, something in Europe or something fast in the United States would, yeah. would make sense because you know the the marathon for the World Championships is mid July, so you could do both. You could do a spring marathon, and then do both. Women side right now the descending order list: Bates, Emma Bates, two twenty four twenty; Sarah Hall, two twenty seven nineteen; and then Molly Seidel. No, that's not right. That's not right. Forty six. That's no, not right.
1: No, so it goes all the you way back, back to November thirtieth. So right now it's Hall two oh. twenty thirty two. D'Amato, 222.56, and Bates, 224.20. 20. So Bates right now is in third. Okay.
2: So D'Amato was fourth on my list. She moves into the, into the top three. So Se- Seidel is out right now. Is what you're saying. Yeah,
1: because it involves the marathon yeah. project results from that December gotcha. 2020 meet. Yeah, so Hall, 220. Gotcha. D'Amato, 222. Bates, 224. And then Kellen Taylor, 225.
2: That's your top four. Do you think – I know they're not going to do this but would you be in favor of if we could go back in time having trials for this?
1: I mean, they're not going to do it, but they could, if they wanted to, they could probably like, have it like in Des Moines, right. Connected to like the Drake Relays or something in that April to let people know like, Hey, this is our trials for the marathon. If you want to do it, you got to be top three at this. We change the rules.
2: Yeah, well Everything they, haven't announced, the a lie. they yeah. haven't announced
1: the rules They haven't announced the rules, so right. they're not really changing anything. But that would be a would you imagine like a an April marathon trials would be
2: perfect, right? No. No, you could do it even earlier. Why not do it I mean, if we're just playing around here. You do it earlier. Wasn't Feb- okay. it was February February? You're so doing the Houston Olympic trials. Yeah. You do it or in Houston. Run back the marathon project. Just do the exact same thing. Just invite a small yeah, but, group of people.
1: Well, you, you, people are running New York City, right? So you gotta, you can't let the people yeah. who are running New York get this. Well, you can't so do, do it, it in general
2: because they've never done it. You can't do it because no one said the rules ahead of time. You can do it for the next cycle, but I just think there's you gonna be such demand. It. There's gonna be such demand for this race to get into this race, that it would be cool to leverage some of that to get another trial setup race. Which is it's fun. We, we everybody wins if there's more trials. I guess that's my thought. All right. Well, I have
1: a I have another meeting I gotta get to after this podcast. Oh yeah. So I think we gotta wrap You're it busy. up. Busy.
2: All right. We'll wrap it up. We'll be back Friday. Thanks to Colt for producing. Gordon's gotta go. Thanks to our special guest Steve Dolan. We'll talk to you guys on Friday. Subscribe to the pod.